0: Welcome back to the Thunder Buddies Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Martin, and I'm joined by my Thunder buddy, Joe Masato of the Oklahoman. Joe, what's going on today? You know, it's a rainy day
1: uh, here, here in the great state of Oklahoma,
0: but uh, before,
1: uh, before we started recording, we are just catching up on the great basketball last night, hopefully more great basketball tonight, so we can just stay in and watch some hoops. That'd be great. What's been your fav- uh, favorite series so far? favorite series has been Sacramento Golden State um just like the drama of it all even even that last game where um you know and it's tied up 2 to 2 I'm I'm fascinated by this uh, M- Milwaukee Miami series as well just because it's the one no one saw coming and what Jimmy Butler did last night was otherworldly um the Cavs Knicks series has been fun. I, I mean there's there's been a lot of good series. This, the La- the Lakers um uh Grizz series has
0: been ripe with drama. So uh what what's been your favorite? Um definitely I'd say the Warriors Kings. I mean, you have Steph the other night, had like thirty-five on five of eleven from three, and it just doesn't really get talked about because it's just like an average Steph performance now in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Russ Revenge Tour against the uh, sons. They're not up in the series, but it's been nice to see him play some good basketball. But yeah, a lot of fun series so far.
1: Yeah, looking forward to uh, we're just in the first round still. So uh, we, we have like months to go. Basically, the NBA playoffs are a grind.
0: Just the beginning. Well, we tease this for a few weeks just talking about in the mind of an uh, all NBA voter. So I wanted to ask Joe a few questions because you are an all NBA voter. First of all, how long have you been a voter for these types of awards?
1: This is my second year. So the NBA reached out last year. They they, they try to have um, as balanced of a voting pool as they can. So it's not just it, it is entirely made up of media members, but not just writers. There's podcasters. There's uh, radio personalities. There's TV personalities. There's um former players who are now in the media, former coaches who are now in the media, so it's a international uh, media as well, so it's a very diverse pool. Um I think the only reason I got selected is uh cuz we we don't have a super large media contingent here in Oklahoma City and they probably wanted this market to to be recognized as well. So um
2: I uh I take it very seriously. I I I've mentioned this before. I hate that um, some
1: contract situations are tied to it for all NBA. I wish that wasn't the case because I uh, I certainly don't want that pressure or responsibility. Even though I have it, um, so every time I think about ah, should I be doing this? I also think you know what I'm gonna put everything into it that I've got, and um, you know, some someone's got to do it. So
0: it's a it's an honor, but a, a kind of a high stakes one a labor of love definitely uh you said that you had the nba reach out to you how exactly did that process go out what was your reaction whenever you first found out you're going to be an nba awards voter yes
1: yeah, so it's um I, w- I wish i had some glamorous story to tell but it's nothing more than an email from a nba public relations officer saying hey would you like to be a voter and then i respond sure and
0: um that's that's about it it's it's pretty simple Come on, Joe, you're a writer. You can swing this a different way where it's some type of like huge thing where they're like, I we don't... need some, we need a hero to come in here. And they like, they I'll flew do it. me out in the dead of night to Secaucus and uh, I, I met with Adam Silver. Is that a better story? Yeah, they brought out a briefcase made of solid gold <laughs> and they said, we need you. And you said, I'll do it under one condition. <laughs> no, but let's let's get into some all NBA stuff and uh, awards. Starting out with Shea Gilgis Alexander announced last night as second in most improved player. Um, I wanted to ask you about your voting in this. I know you had Markin in one and then Shea second. Uh, just wanted to go over the process of that with you.
1: Yeah, you know this one.
0: This one's really tough. So I, I want to
1: read to everyone. The the definition of the most improved player, um, because it's one that uh goes back and forth. This is per the NBA, the annual award, which we first presented in the 1985 86 season, is designed to honor an up and coming player who has made a dramatic improvement from the previous season or seasons. Shea certainly applies to that de- definition. Um, I think Laurie Markinen, um, up you know. I think it's an easier fit uh, with him. So why I voted Markkinen over Shea for most improved player. Here's what I wrote. Would you be more surprised if Markkinen or Gilgis Alexander made the all-star game? Would you be more surprised if Gilgis Alexander finished fourth in scoring or if Markkinen finished 12th? Would you be more surprised if Gilgis Alexander had 51-35-91 shooting splits or if Markkinen had 50-39-88 shooting splits? So, if you ask me those questions at the beginning of the season, while I would be surprised on all accounts for both players, I would be more surprised if Markkinen put up those numbers. His, his improvement was more dramatic than Shea's improvement. However, anyone who voted Shea has a great case because Shea's improvement was probably more impactful from a team standpoint, going from... Good to really, really good like Markkinen did or, you know, just kind of middling to really good. Is is an awesome step, but it probably is not franchise changing, perhaps like Shay's step going from really, really good star even to like full fledged superstar first team all NBA type guy. Um, so so that jump is more impactful. I just don't know if it was as drastic, as dramatic, as stunning, whatever words you want to use, whatever qualifier you want to put on this. Um, So that's why I had Markin in one. I had Shade two. And I had Jalen Brunson of the New York Knicks third.
0: Yeah, most improved kind of is in in its own universe as an award because there's just weird kind of unwritten rules with the award where it's like most people, most voters don't vote for second year guys because it's just. Assumed you'd improve in your second year, and then yep. just some stuff like usually it is that type of guy like a Giannis taking a huge leap or Jimmy Butler was most improved, but then we saw last year with John Morant, which is more similar to what Shea did this year of taking the all-star leap to superstar leap because Shea went from like a top twenty-five player to a fifteen to twelve best player in the world.
2: Yeah, I, I mean we're even even higher than that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, they're under last year's voting s- standards. Shea probably should have won
1: because J- John Morant had that leap from star-, star to superstar. He was the most improved winner uh, in 22. Um, names before that Julius Randle, Brandon Ingram, Pascal Siakam, Victor Oladipo, and Giannis. So, all of these, I think, except. I think Giannis had been an all star before, but I looked back and like five out of the previous six winners were all first time all stars. So that's kind of another um, tell, which, you know, SGA and Lori um both qualified for that. They were both first time all stars. Um, just looking at the voting real quick. So 100 media members vote. You place, uh, you pick one through three. Um, so three guys are on every ballot. Markinon got sixty nine first place votes out of the one hundred. Shea got twenty four, and the remaining seven. I think I'm doing my math correctly. Um, Jalen Brunson got four first place votes. Mikkel Bridges got one. Tyrese Halliburton got one, and Trey Murphy the third from the Pelicans got one. Um, top three were Markinon, Gilgis, Alexander, Brunson.
0: Very nice. I mean. <clears throat> Maybe if Shea won, anyways, he was just going to re-gift the most improved, just like Ja did last year. So uh, the George Mikan Trophy, by the way. If you asked me who the trophy was before this and for most improved, I would have gone hours before we got to George Mikan.
1: The the uh, I remember we talked about these these uh, newly named awards before the season, and it was kind of a big talking point in the NBA of of what these were going to be called, but. It really doesn't matter because we're still calling it most improved player. We're not saying so-and-so is the winner of the George Mikan Trophy.
0: Nope, and they didn't do it on the TNT broadcast either, which is one of those times where the NBA would be like, we really want to plug this. We really want to point uh, get the point across. that so This is the George Mikan Award, and then you have Charles Barkley up there talking about whatever. Have you ever done the Mikan drill? I have. That's just one of the... the uh... Staples of youth basketball, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, you, you I, can get better off of it, but yeah, the, the the game has changed a little bit.
1: Yeah, this, uh, it says a layup and footwork exercise known as the Mike and drill has been used for decades by players at all levels to improve their game. So I guess that's a very loose reasoning behind
0: why this thing is called the George Mike and Trophy. Unfortunate that he couldn't, that Shay didn't win, so you could do a big story asking Shay about the mic and drill. <laughs> yeah. It's uh
1: Maybe, maybe like every winner should be required to like release a
0: instructional video or something. I think that is awesome. This is why Adam Silver flew you out. <laughs> but we'll, we'll get into our next award, which is J-Dub, Jalen Williams out of Santa Clara with second rookie of the year voting. Uh, you had a quote in your article explaining your all NBA and votings uh, for different awards. And you mentioned, quote, I didn't have much trouble with this one in uh, quote. A lot of people in this season made a lot of a late season push for Dub to win Rookie of the Year. Was any of that discussion something you ever considered?
1: Yeah, I, I certainly considered it. And for me, you know, I know, I know a voter had Walker Kessler first. I know a lot, a lot of people had him second. Jalen Williams. This award's going to be announced Tuesday night. By the way, uh, we're recording Tuesday morning. Uh, J Dub is going to finish second. Um, I I I certainly this is no knock on J-Dub what whatsoever like um here here I'll just I'll just lay out my reasoning since I'm stumbling over my words so Ben Kara averaged 20 points, 7 rebounds, 3.7 assists over a 72 game stretch. He was Orlando's first or second option. I think he led them in usage rate. Um but if you want to say Franz Wagner is kind of their their primary option then fine on some nights. Um he was not efficient not even close uh to j dub in that category um, but but basically j dub just had such a different role um with with the thunder like he he was asked to do far less now he was so efficient in what he was asked to do um but you know when he's on the floor with with shay and giddy um he's not even the first or second option Some nights he wasn't the third option. We was, you know, much to the chagrin of Thunder fans when when Lou Dort would get up some shots. So um,
2: this award, I think, I don't know if I'm doing it right or not, but I value,
1: like, the Ross stats of it more than I do other awards just because I think it's very, very hard for rookies to come in on day one and, like, be the guy and face that pressure and like all of this is on you, and you know Ben Kerr is the number one pick. J Dub is you know the uh, the the third lottery pick on it on his own team, even though Chet's not playing. Um,
2: and you know I, I don't like I don't put too much stock into that the, that narrative, but but just just
1: the raw counting sets I think mean something. Um, averaging twenty points in the NBA is hard. I, I keep doing this scenario in my head, like what does J-Dub look like in Bancaro's role on the Magic? What does Ben Bancaro look like in J-Dub's role on the Thunder? Maybe neither are as good in those roles as they each were in their own. Um, but Bancaro was a, was a fairly easy choice for me, um, even over J-Dub's late season push.
0: Yeah, you won't get any pushback from uh, me on that. Paolo was really great Thank this you, season. Michael. Anytime, Joe. This is is what I'm here for. Just your support system. But Palo has been number one on a lot of scouting reports with a bullet from the start of the season Along with Franz. Like you mentioned, that's just a completely different thing from J-Dub, who was a late riser in the draft, who probably didn't have like a ton of scouting until probably like a quarter way through the season. So I think that's interesting. But just I wanted to ask you, how do you weigh important rookies with a ton of responsibility on a bad to below average team? Versus a rookie who plays a vital role on a team at a winning level, like we saw this year with guys like Paolo and Ben Matherin versus J-Dub and Keegan Murray on the latter end of things, because we've seen this kind of precedent before. I mean, last year was a a big one where it was like between Cade Cunningham, who was putting up a lot of great stats on a bad team versus guys like Evan Mobley and Scotty Barnes, who weren't putting up gaudy numbers, but they were on playoff teams.
2: Yeah, so...
1: That mattered less to me in those in those top three for for rookie of the year, but it did matter more to me in all rookie voting, like for example um all rookie first team I had Paolo J. Dup, Kessler, which was my one through three on rookie of the year um plus jay ivy bad team but but really good numbers um and keegan Murray so you could make the case for some second team guys over Keegan Murray. This isn't voted on positionally, by the way. So, um, some people might have had Benedict Matherin over Murray. That's fine. But the tiebreaker, um, for me was Keegan Murray's starting for the Kings and, and playing a pretty big role, um, as a rookie and, and kind of hanging in there. So, so that was, I, I
0: kind of use that as a tiebreaker. That's a fair one. I wanted to ask you also, who was your most surprising rookie this season? Who uh, maybe a guy who played better than you expected, a guy you weren't super high on the draft, or a guy who uh, really improved over the rookie season? Well, I want to hear what you say on this, but um, the easy one for me uh,
1: was Walker Kessler. I I mean, I thought, you know, he's he's going to finish third in rookie of the year voting. Um, We talked about the bigs kind of near the. Top of this draft, or or you know maybe the Thunder uses their second pick on that. Whether it's Jalen Duran, whether it's Mark Williams, and like Kessler was not even in that conversation. Um, went later in the first round. So what he did in Utah, what he did, especially knowing that he was in that Gobert trade, and it's like oh they've got like the next version of Gobert, except he's younger and cheaper, and um, plus they got eighteen thousand other things. Um, in that trade. So um, Kessler was was far better than than I thought he was going to be and Very surprising.
0: He was definitely surprising. He looked like coming out of Auburn, just like a big stiff, but he can move a lot better yeah. than I ever expected. Um, as far as my most, I don't know, uh, surprising one, it's weird to be surprised by a guy who was a top five pick. But just all the talk during the draft was about Keegan Murray, about. Um, you know he probably won't go forward to the Kings and then he does and everybody laughs at the Kings because they are the Kings and then it is completely worked out and much like J Dub during the regular season Keegan didn't look like a rookie at all. He looked like a guy mm-hmm. who's been in the league for a while. He is a little bit older so that's part of it but he didn't look like he had any real growing pains and like you mentioned he started for most of the season if not all of the season and contributed to winning at a high level on the best offense in the NBA.
1: Yeah. And like, you know, he, he had a rough few first games of this playoff series as to be expected from a rookie, but then was awesome there in that last game. And the Kings were panned by me as well for, for selecting Keegan Murray over Jane Ivey. I don't know. I don't know how much credit to give them, but maybe they, maybe they saw this coming where they're, Hey, we can, we can win now. And like, I'm not sure if Jay Nivey is even on the floor for the, for the Kings in a, in a playoff series. Um, But Keegan Murray kind of fits in perfectly more of a plug and play guy. Now um, to go back to the question we always love, if you're, if you have a blank slate and you're starting, you know, you're drafting these guys. I probably still go Jay Nivey over Keegan Murray just because he can be the lead guard. Um, and, and Keegan, as we're seeing now, albeit a very good one, still looks like more of a complimentary piece, um, but he's he's been an excellent fit in Sacramento.
0: Yeah, definitely much higher ceiling for Jaden Ivey, but just as a plug and play guy where he can come in, Keegan Murray's been pretty good and he, you know, it's not like he has a low ceiling. He could be maybe a Tobias Harris type of player at the end of his career. So we'll see on that, but um, very interesting rookie class that We'll have a lot to talk about over the course of the summer and next season. Even with Chet getting involved, it's his draft class, but his rookie class will be next year.
2: Is your um? So I, I like this other question you posed of like the guy we did most surprising rookie, but
1: mm-hmm. a guy you weren't really high on that exceeded expectations is like Murray. Your your answer for that, or did you have another guy in mind?
0: Let me look at the draft here. For a second, if you install, I'll, stall I'll it go with second. mine because okay, I was,
1: I was not high on this guy pre-draft, and I love watching him, and I think he's going to be a good player, and that's Tari Eason um, from the Rockets. Tari Eason made my All-Rookie Second Team. You just there was just some red flags, and maybe I was looking at it too much from a Thunder perspective of like doesn't have a great feel for the game, kind of lacks some awareness is you know, kind of unpredictable, but for a rockets team that was so bad, he just injected a lot of energy. He's an excellent rebounder, he's going to be a really good defender. Um I I mentioned the energy, his his motor stands out more than anything and now if they have a more rigid system and uh Eme Udoka reportedly going to be the next Rockets head coach. I think that's going to be really good for a guy like Tari Eason. So I, I was not high on Eason pre-draft, but I, I don't know ultimately kind of what he becomes. Um, other than like this, like do everything, Swiss Army knife, you know, versatile on both ends of the floor, and kind of just get you those hustle stats. Um, but a player like that's really valuable.
0: I heard someone on Twitter say that Tari Eason is just a mix between Corey Brewer and Patrick Beverly, and that that really stood out to me. Yeah, like.
1: I'm I'm trying to think of a comp. Um, that might be a good one. I mean, he he, I describe him as a madman. Like mm-hmm. he's just he's just everywhere trying to do everything, and like eventually he's gonna have to dial that back a little bit. I would think. Um, but but there's like so much there to to work with, and I, I think his games are gonna become a little more refined. So I'm excited to see what Eason becomes.
0: A guy I wouldn't necessarily say I was low on, but we were all just kind of like questioning and kind of skeptical of that turned out to be much better this season than I imagined was Shaden Sharp. I thought that yeah. coming in at 18, 19, he played much better than anyone expected, especially after just not playing basketball for basically two years to come in and play on a Portland team, which they didn't end up making the postseason. But he, it wasn't because of Shaden Sharp is the reason they didn't make it. But I thought he provided them some good minutes and definitely showed flashes of what he could become and i think that blazers fans should rightfully be very excited about him yeah
2: the um the the biggest wild card by
1: far at the top of this last draft i i had kind of slid him down on my rankings that really don't exist but the ones in my head just just because it's like you can't miss with, with that high of a pick and his missed potential. Big, big swing and miss guy. It's like a, the three true outcomes if you take out the walk in baseball. It's either going to be a strikeout or a home run. And um, maybe it's not going to be either of those things. Maybe it's going to be a double off the wall, but um, looks much closer to a home run than a strikeout. And if anything, if you did a redraft of this class, he might even be
0: you know, pushing into the top five. Well, we'll do um uh, a recall redraft of this in like 15 years to come back and see if he was a double, a single home run grand slam or anything like that. I'm sure people will be on pins and needles until then. But overall, yeah, J-Dub number two, it's looking like and just incredible feat. Definitely nothing to be um, ashamed of with him as the 12th pick to now be right now the second best rookie in his class. Yeah, I mean, it's
1: it's an it's an amazing feat. And and we're um we talked about Shea. He he finished second for most improved. Although, you know, if I was him and I'm sure he feels this way, I'd much rather be first team all NBA than um not be but win most improved player. Like first team all NBA is 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 a much bigger honor, and that's what he's going to get. With J Dub second in rookie of the year voting, he's going to be first team all rookie. Um and then I, I don't know if we uh, want to go to this now, but just to preview, like Mark Dignall, it looks like he's going to finish second in coach of the year voting. So you've got three guys who are uh, finishing second in these individual awards, which is,
0: you know, kind of symbolizes the remarkable season the Thunder had. Sam Presti is going to go into Adam Silver's office, and just say we have th- three seconds here. Can we trade this for one award win? <laughs> we'll package three seconds. Maybe, uh,
1: I don't know. Maybe the Magic would be interested in doing something mm-hmm. like that. Or or the Kings, they're in win-now mode. Maybe they trade Mike Brown's Coach of the Year win for something. Who yeah. knows?
0: Give us Palo's Rookie of the Year. Get Jamal Mosley <laughs> a little bit more <laughs> PR push uh, from the media. So that should be interesting. But yeah, let's talk about Mark. Um, he's a guy who had kind of a late-season push, too. I don't feel like he was somebody who was in the conversation for Coach of the Year for most of the season. So at what point for you did it become like a legitimate thing that Mark could be a finalist for this award. You know,
2: this is a really good question um
1: to which I don't have a really good answer because it it was more gradual. It was, you know, the the thunder was obviously kind of amid a surprise season, but I think a lot of us thought, you know, eventually the bottom's going to fall out and maybe they're going to to go go more toward draft positioning and everything like that. And, you know, they're, they're not going to be like exclusively focused on making the plan, which, you know, they, they weren't, but they still did just because they were better than anyone realized. So I, I think as they just kind of hovered around that mark and continued to be in the race and eventually making the plan, I, I think that kind of like solidified it in everyone's mind. Mike Brown he was the runaway winner, first ever unanimous winner of the Coach of the Year Award, but Mark finished second. And while J-Dub had, had that late push, and if you listen to any NBA podcast or read anything national about the NBA, everyone was talking about J-Dub's, hey, you better not count him out. I don't know about you, but I hardly heard anyone say Mark Dignault's name. And I think that's probably because they don't know how to pronounce Mark Degnolt's name, so everyone was just like scared, and he was like the uh, the secret um, villain because everyone everyone was like, "Oh yeah, I'll, uh, th- this guy deserves a good job." But I don't know how to talk about him because I don't know who he is or what he looks like or how he spells his name. Um, so I think I, I really think his anonymity played a part in this. But yeah, I was. I mean, I wasn't surprised to see him finish second because there's uh, all kinds of Internet sleuths who uh, track these awards and and who's announced their ballots and everything like that. So there's really no surprises anymore. Um, But yeah, even at the All-Star break, I would have been I think we were saying things like, hey, maybe he can crack like the top five or something like that. But now he was he was second
0: um, and really no doubt about it. I don't have a vote, but Mike Brown would have gotten mine mainly because he uh, told me that if I was a GM of a team, he would want to work for me. So that was very nice of him. Had nothing to do with what the Kings did this season. It was all about that. Absolutely. He said that and it turned their season around. It's not like the Kings didn't play in Oklahoma City until like February or anything. It was that, that was the turning point. But <laughs> yeah, Mark, it feels like it was just kind of. Over the course of the season, it was just different, smarter people kind of peppering in things like Zach Lowe of like, you know, who's doing a really great job is Mark Dagnall. And then Charles Barkley would say it and then mispronounce both Mark and Dagnalt somehow at the same time. But yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe we'll have to talk to Mark about that, about changing his last name to something easier to pronounce. I mean, they had his first name wrong last year on the ballot, right?
1: Yes, he was listed as Mike Dagnault, So it was quite a one year turnaround going from. You know, credit to the NBA and and uh, the accounting firm that administers this ballot. They got Degnault right. They just they just got Mark wrong. They went with Mike. You know, they were down between two. We were like, I know it's one of these M first names that's kind of short and punchy. They went with Mike. It's Mark. They got it right this time. And by golly, they uh they got it right just in time because Mark does finish second. He got forty eight of the one hundred second place votes and kind of a runaway for uh for mark in second place because the next highest finisher for second place votes was Joe Mazzula um of Boston, Mark Dagnall, who might be the best interview as far as coaches go in the NBA. Uh at least top three, Joe Mazzula, um maybe my my least favorite guy to talk to in the in, in the NBA. I'm sure he's a very nice fellow. It's just um he does not give very nice answers. Um so he got 18 Second-place votes, Mark got 48 second-place votes. J.B. Bickerstaff, who I voted third, um, he got 13 second-place votes. Bickerstaff finishes uh, fourth overall. Joe Missoula finished third, so maybe I had some inherent bias there for not voting Joe Missoula third, but
0: yeah, anyway. Only room for one Joe M. That's it. That's right. Yeah, Joe Missoula. He even has double
1: double uh consonants in his name too two z's and two l's i have two
0: s's and two t's so there's kind of a budding rivalry here a lot of beef here no he has no idea about it but it's it's heated yeah joe mazula has the energy and vibe of like the substitute teacher who comes into a troubled classroom who just looks like don't screw with me that that's how i would describe him but he's also just like very robotic in how he talks but that's not what we're here to talk about um speaking of Mark, I wanted to ask you, because I'm sure a lot of voters contacted you because they're not close to the Thunder on every single game. What kind of questions did they ask you about Mark or what, what were their opinions of him?
1: Yeah, I mean, no one, no one like contacted me while filling out their ballot or anything. But it's, it's a thing where as you travel different places throughout the season, no one knows anything about this guy. So other beat writers or media types of all sorts would... Say, like, hey, what what's this guy's deal? Or like, what's his background, or you know, what what's he like? So um, a lot of people did want to know about Mark just because again, like I, I really do think he is still there's a lot of anonymous NBA coaches, like the Grizzlies have been in the national spotlight the last two years. I don't I, I think only the invested NBA fans could tell you that Taylor Jenkins is is their head coach. Um so you know michael malone we 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 know him for a long time now, but he's not like this like recognizable face of the n b a despite leading um the nuggets so this isn't like a just a mark thing, but I don't think anyone still knows i mean people know about him now, obviously reflected in this uh, award voting, but it was more so um kind of uh, spending this year getting to getting to learn about him more um and what a job he did in his third season.
0: As we talked about before, with most improved in awards like that, there's the unwritten rule that you can't really win twice or be a finalist twice. Is this something that we'll see for Mark as his only time as a finalist, or is Coach of the Year sort of like a how the Heisman used to be or all defense, all or defensive player of the year is now where you kinda have to put a body of work of like multiple seasons to win the award? What do you think Mark's chances are next season?
2: Well, I think it's chances are pretty good if they like do something crazy and win 50
1: games. Um, I I mean, it's kind of like the, the Kings. I mean, this award is, it's one of two things. It's you, you're overwhelmingly the best team in the NBA and recognized as a good coach. Like when, Mike Budenholzer won it with the Bucs, it's like, clearly they're the best team. Okay, we're just going to give it to him. It's like if Nick Saban wins coach of the year in college football. Or it goes to, wow, I can't believe they did this. They they had this good of a season. The coach must have done a hell of a job. And that was Mike Brown's case. That was Mark Dignall's case. It would be almost impossible for Mike Brown to win again next year unless they won like sixty games, um, or were or the one seed by a huge margin, it would be easier for Degnall to win it because there's still another leap the Thunder could make, even if it's unlikely. But um, you know, a better case would, you know, pick a team that's in the bottom ten or bottom five of projected uh uh preseason win totals over under totals and if you like one of those teams to be a lot better than they're supposed to be pick their coach to win uh, Coach of the Year because that's usually the way to go about it.
0: You can always count on Jeff Van Gundy for zagging on stuff like this. I remember he said on the low post that Coach of the Year is a dumb award because it's just voters rewarding a coach who they thought would be bad who turned out to be good, which made me laugh a lot.
2: Yeah, it's more so like a teams, though, that yeah. we thought were going to be bad than uh, than
1: coaches we thought were, were going to be bad. By the way, Michael Malone still... You know, he, he received seven second place votes, um, nine third place votes. Boot got five second place votes, twelve third place. Um Will Hardy got some votes, Tom Thibodeau got some votes. I'm almost surprised those two guys didn't finish ahead of the two names I just listed. Um Lu Ty Lu got one third place vote. That's
0: very interesting.
1: And Willie Green
0: got one third place vote. Yeah, Coach of the Year it feels like is almost just kind of like this. I don't know, crowning or something like that of just like your arrival, because it's not uh, an award where you're just like Greg Popovich has just won eight in a row or anything like that. It feels like there's a lot of variance, a lot of switching up between that award, but it feels like most of the coaches who deserve to win it have won it. Or do you disagree with that? No, I think that's right.
2: Um, I think if we asked Mark Dignalt
1: about it, he would say, it's a team award it's reflective of how we've been as a team and while that's a very like pre answer pre i'm using that as a verb um or an adjective man i'm it's something i don't know what i'm doing i don't know what i'm doing with this job i'm i'm totally unqualified but anyway um i think he'd be right though if he said that like it really is like a team award. If the Kings weren't this good, no matter how good of a coach Mike Brown is, he's he's not going to win the award. So, I mean, it if we, if we wanted it to go to the absolute best coach every year, maybe, you know, Popovich and Spolstra and Lu would split it all the time or, or something like that. Pick your favorite coach. Um, but it's like a combination of, you know, team, team that, exceeded expectations where you know also they clearly had a a good guiding hand and i think Dignal was exactly that for the thunder
0: okay shortly i wanted to get into clutch player of the year i wanted to ask you what it was like for voting for an award with no real precedent since this is the first year of the clutch player of the year award i did the
2: least amount of research for this um I think we
1: all knew in like November that De'Aaron Fox was going to win, and uh, I uh, clicked De'Aaron Fox. Check. Uh, I don't. Was it unanimous?
2: I don't. I think it, it should have been. It should have been. Um. So this was also the. This was. How, how do I say it?
1: So so every individual award you vote on.
2: Every single player in the NBA is
1: listed, so if you want to vote for Thanosis unto Antetokounmpo ahead of Giannis you, you, for All-NBA, you certainly can, or Jay will over J-Dub for Rookie of the Year, you can. Every player is available. Um, for Clutch Player of the Year, that was not the case. You could not vote for Jeremiah Robinson Earl for Clutch Player of the Year. Um, they did this thing where I think coaches all nominated a few guys or something like that, and then NBA compiled the most popular vote getters, and then they put those guys on the ballot. So I think there was twenty something guys listed. Shea Gilgis Alexander, um, who who did have some, uh, was making some noise for this award. Obviously, uh, hit a couple of game winners and was was making. Uh, a ton of clutch shots before De'Aaron Fox just ran away with the NBA lead in clutch points. It wasn't even close uh, total clutch scoring. So that's why Fox won. Um, but Shay did make the ballot, did not uh, finish in the top three, though. I think, uh, I don't even remember. I don't even remember who actually won. I voted for Jimmy Butler and DeMar DeRozan, and those were the second and third place finishers in clutch points, total clutch points. And I know that's a really ridiculous way to go about it, but I was like, I I can't go back and see who had the most game winners or whatever. But I was like, hey, clutch, clutch stats when the game's within five points with five minutes or less in the game, who, who's doing the most work? And I also looked at field goal percentage during that time and everything like that. But I was like, Fox is going to win this
0: everyone put whoever else you want at second third yeah that leads me to our next question is just like what is with the process of this i wonder if there's more nuance we can add so it's not just a situation i'm not saying you did this of just like you go clutch points per game most clutch points most game winners and it's just like okay well this guy had the most so he's one next guy two three because at that point what's the point of voting if we can just look at the stat sheet but because there's just a lot of stuff that goes on. I know Reggie Miller said this a while ago, that clutch is not always just the game winner. It's the shot when you're down five and you need a bucket just to stay in the game. So there's there's some more nuance, but I wonder if that's something we can add to the discussion around this award as time goes forward and it kind of evolves a little bit.
2: Yeah, um, what's this say? Okay, so the NBA's definition
1: for this... The clutch play of the year was voted on by a media panel based on nomination and NBA yada, 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 honors the NBA player who best comes through for his teammates in the clutch. Um, yeah, sure. So, the NBA actually does define clutch time, so that's what mm-hmm. I'm basing it off of. Like I said, um, when the margin is within five points with five or fewer minutes left in the game, certainly every year I don't think it'll go to. Whoever, you know, has has the most clutch points, although this year it did because Fox finished first, Butler finished second, and DeRozan finished third. Um, Shea Shea got one first place vote. It's very interesting. He got seven second place votes and five third place votes. So he finished one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh. He finished seventh for the award in between Donovan Mitchell and Luka Doncic. Um. Fox was not the unanimous winner, by the way. Got 91 of the 100 first place votes. Um, The only other player with more than one first place vote, though, was Stephen Curry, who got two. Um, Yeah, so I don't know. I keep talking about these these, uh, numbers that don't really matter. But the Clutch Player of the Year, the Jerry West Trophy, the inaugural winner, is De'Aaron Fox. And if I had my way... I would say that De'Aaron Fox is the first and only winner of this award ever and, and we it
0: after this. I wasn't gonna push back on that. I was actually gonna say instead of the Jerry West Award, because it's inaugural, we should just call it the De'Aaron Fox Award. I think it's when it's inaugural, it should just be named after the first winner.
1: We can take out the little Jerry West figurine that's like crystallized in this trophy and just put a just put a Fox figurine. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. The uh, Rookie of the Year trophy, who is uh, Tyreek Evans, Rookie of the Year. <laughs> who is that? Just that, That's what I want. But let's move on to the big topic of discussion with a lot of these awards. This is what all the people want to talk about for most of the season, and that's the MVP. You ended up going with Joe uh, Embiid, but this was one of the more heated and passionate uh, MVP discussions we've had in recent memory since maybe Harden versus Westbrook in 2017.
1: Yeah, it got a little uncomfortable at times as far as the the discourse. Um, I did vote uh, Joel Embiid last year. Um, I voted for Nikola Jokic. So here here's kind of how I looked at this. Um, the 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 team context was similar. Both, you know, they're, I think they were only separated by by two games. So that's something that Jokic has had in his favor in the past. Jokic also had like a huge playing time advantage over Embiid. That was very, very narrow this year. And people a lot smarter than I am have, have continually talked about how this might be Jokic's worst defensive season of, of his career. And while his offense is still on its own level, he's the best singular offensive force in the NBA, just with how he dissects def- defenses. Um, while that stayed the same, Embiid's offense took a bigger leap this year than where he has been in the past and his defense while not like super consistent in big spots and in big time games like he he could turn it on and like Joel Embiid at his peak um is arguably one of the best defensive players in the NBA. Um so that was kind of the tiebreaker for me and listen, I thought the early narrative of oh, you know, Jokic has a higher um bar to clear because he's won back to back. It's only been done, you know, two other times in which a guy's won three straight MVPs. I always thought that was a little ridiculous because it's like, well, I mean, that's if he's if he's the best player, he's the best player. And I don't really care what history says about this. Um but as I got deeper into the year, I thought about that a little bit more and, and was just thinking back how we look at eras and the the dominant players of our era. And while Jokic has been dominant, like he's won MVPs, Giannis has won MVPs, and Embiid is that guy who finishes second seemingly every single year. And, you know, I didn't use that as a tiebreaker because I would I would have gone with Embiid anyway. Um but that added a little more juice to it and I just thought like, hey, if you are struggling to decide, like I don't think it's a it's an unintelligent argument to say that the guy with no MVPs maybe should get the nod
0: this time. Well, how do you compartmentalize stuff like that? Because it is interesting what you were talking about, that there is sort of a different standard for a guy like Jokic after going back to back and going for his third. Giannis has already gone back to back and won two, although that was a couple of years ago. And just like the raising bar for those guys of, you know, you have to top those MVP seasons, which is, kind of different but it is kind of like the standard that a lot of voters have discussed. Well,
2: I kind of try to look forward and then say,
1: you know, in in 20 years or in 30 years what is this vote going to look like and you know, that that's where the historical stuff comes into play for me with a guy,
2: you know, I know this is a regular season award, but I think it would look questionable if
1: we have this like back to back to back MVP that maybe never won an NBA Finals or or even made an NBA Finals, and I I totally agree that's not that's not what I'm voting on f- for this season. But it it just kind of makes me pause a little bit. So there are, it is hard to compartmentalize and it's hard to to kind of negotiate the different factors in this, but. To me, like I, I feel very comfortable in that I can make uh, a solid argument for one season why Embiid was the most valuable player this year over Jokic, even if you take out all of those uh, outlying factors. So, um, but at the same time, I'll listen to anyone who argues because it's an easy argument why Jokic should have won. I'll listen to anyone who argues that Giannis should have won. Um, I, I mean they were the he's the best player probably in the world and he's on the best team in the NBA. Um I thought there was a clear drop off after 3. Um but but those three guys put them in any order you want and I don't think anyone can quibble over that. But I am interested to see who you would have voted for because Michael I'm I'm getting the sense you would have voted Jokic and I'm I'm totally fine with that.
0: This was a very difficult one because it just felt changing all the time. Like you mentioned I said that somebody, if you had somebody from debate club and just every day, they're like, let me tell you why it's Embiid. 30 minutes later, it's like, you know what? I'm sold. Next guy comes in. This is why it's Giannis. It's like, you know what? Didn't think I'd have my mind changed, but here we are. So I think that, you know, Jokic, I probably, it's just the president of three straight MVPs. If you just said it in a nutshell, who's the MVP without that context, I probably would have said Jokic, but just the weight of three straight even though that's not really supposed to be in consideration. That does make it feel a little bit differently. And I know you're not supposed to split awards, but it feels like Embiid was due in a way. But this is why you get to vote and I don't. Well,
1: I've been talking for, what, almost an hour. And um, um, clearly, if if the NBA is listening, they might consider taking away my vote because you can see how unsure and worried
0: and anxious i am about everything that i've already voted for even though it's done i know that you consist uh you just um talk to a magic eight ball that's what you uh do for a lot of this yeah, stuff
1: i put all these names in a randomizer and uh vote for whoever comes out on spin top spin the
0: wheel yeah well other stuff on the mvp front how did your opinion of the MB- mvp change over the season because this was not like as we talked about it's a difficult discussion and it's not like we had a wire to wire embed from start to season to the end where it's like, well, this is very obvious.
1: Yeah, it was um, going back earlier in the season. Um, so Tim Bontemps from ESPN does these straw polls and. I can't remember who I voted for in like the first or second one, but I think it was either Curry or uh, Jason Tatum like Tatum was. Remember when, like, the Celtics had like the best offense of all time by this huge amount? They were like making every three pointer they've taken, and Tatum was the fulcrum of that offense, and um, just looked like, oh man, this is this is his year. And then he he really trailed off in, in the in the second half. So Curry and Tatum were both on my list, kind of earlier in the year. Tatum did finish fourth um, for me behind Giannis. So I basically had three tiers for this. Again, you vote for top five in MVP. I had tier one. That was Embiid, Jokic, Giannis, three guys in tier one. I had one guy in tier two. That was Jason Tatum. I thought the gap between Giannis and Tatum was wide. And I thought the gap between Tatum and whoever you want to put at number five was wide.
2: Um, and at number five, I voted for the thunders, very own Shea Gilgers, Alexander. Um,
1: Listen, like a, a, as you can see, I, I didn't vote J Dub for Rookie of the Year. I had Shay second um, for Most Improved. I had Dagnalt second for Coach of the Year. So I hope, like I, I did not do this just um, to to show how objective I am. But I, I hope that sort of reflects how objective I'm looking at these awards. So uh so I don't want anyone to think this is a homer pick. I think that would discount the season Shea's had. I think Shea was deserving. Um, here's why I voted Shea fifth. The the other guys I considered that I would put in this tier, Donovan Mitchell, Demonis Sabonis, which was a tough one because if you want to say Fox, then fine. Um, and Luka Doncic. To me, SGA's case over Doncic was clear. One made the play and one didn't. Um, Mitchell First season in Cleveland, Cavs are an instant contender. But he's also playing alongside Darius Garland, Evan Mobley, Jared Allen. Shea just doesn't have that support in Oklahoma City. Um, and Sabonis, best you know, best story in the NBA, and I think he's their best their best player. Um, the The reason I went went Shea is the Thunder was the most overachieving team in the NBA when you look at the Vegas over unders. To begin the season, I picked them to win twenty something games. I forgot what it was. They land all in. Uh, they land all the way into the play in, and more so than those other guys I mentioned. Like he is far and away the best player on this team. And, and without Shea, they don't come anywhere close to making the play in. He finished fourth in the NBA in scoring. Um, and I I weighed his defense quite a bit into this because he's a much better defender than Mitchell. He's a much better defender than Sabonis and a much better defender than D- Donchich, which are the other three guys um, I considered. And this is not just an offensive award. Um, Shea was first in the NBA uh, in deflections. He was second, uh, excuse me, I think second deflections, fourth in steals, first in blocks among guards. We just saw him play at a different level on that end. Um, and that led to a lot of team success as well. So um
0: Shea was number five for me. Anyone who calls you a homer over having him in the top five is just dumb. I mean, he might finish fifth, by the way. Yeah, he he probably should. And the thing is, just in terms of the word valuable, quote unquote, he would be the most valuable to his team of any guys in the top five. I mean, you take Tatum off his team and be Jokic, any of those guys Giannis and they're probably still in the playoffs with those roster. If you take Shea off the Thunder, I don't even want to think about what this season might have been. It's not like it would have been just like crisis mode, but we definitely would not have had any play in or postseason talk if Shea was not on this basketball team.
1: No, we'd we'd be talking a heck of a lot more about Victor Wembanyama if Shea wasn't on this team, and you can't say the same thing um, for those other teams. I mean, he was. I I voted. Maybe we'll get to All NBA, but I voted him first team all NBA. So that's basically saying now we we still have positional restrictions for that, but a top five player in the NBA. And that's sort of reflected in my MVP voting. He was a top five player in the NBA this season.
0: We'll get to all NBA in a second. Let's touch on this just for one minute. And that's uh, all defense door. You had him second team, but I thought it was interesting because during Sam Presti's exit interviews, he sort of uncharacteristically um, went to bat for Lou and said, if you don't have him on an all defensive team, you just aren't watching the games. So I wanted to ask you if there's any disconnect for other media members around him. Do you think he gets the recognition that Sam feels like he deserves from voters?
1: Yeah, well, um, I'm I'm glad I had him on there to confirm that I am indeed watching the games. This this is so I talked about objectivity, but there is inherent bias. And mm-hmm. there's the inherent bias of me watching Dort night after night guard the opposing team's best offensive player more times than not, regardless of position, unless it's a center. And there's there's these moments that just stick out. It's, you know, him guarding Kawhi. It's him locking up Dame Lillard. It's him frustrating Luka Doncic. And these are the best offensive players in, in the league. And, you know, so so knowing that and like I, I think voting for all defense is really tough because it's just it's harder to the numbers are a little more squishy like we still don't have a great way um to measure defensive impact like we do offensive impact so it's really like more the eye test on on some of those awards i mean i look at like on off splits and things like that but with dort you know what if i don't cover the thunder i'm not sure i do vote dort um second team all defense um and i think I don't think there's like a disconnect between why he isn't getting that love. I just think it's he just doesn't have like the people know he's a good defender, but he doesn't have like the name value of a Drew Holiday or a Marcus Smart who 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 didn't make it this year, but you know, won defensive player of the year last year. Or even even Derek White, who you know, I don't know if he's a bigger name than Lou Dort. He just plays for the Celtics, a team everyone talks about and a team that's on national TV all the time, and the team that announcers are talking about, everything like that. Dort just doesn't have that exposure. Um We all know what what he's able to do defensively. Sam knows what he's able to do, Mark. And what validated my vote, i I thought, and this factored into it. So basically, I was like, hey, if de- if defense is this hard to measure, if I'm struggling this much with who to put on the all defensive teams, I'm just going to listen to the guys that are trying to score on these people. So if Luca tells me that Lou Dort's a top three defender, I'm going to believe him. If Dame Lillard says Luca, or that um, Dort is, does the best job on him defensively, I'm going to listen to Dame Lillard um, because he, he knows a thing or two about what makes a good defender. And then the athletic poll came out after ballots were already submitted and Dort finishes second on that for best defender in the league. So there is a disconnect, a gulf between what players think about him and what media slash fans slash you know everyone else thinks thinks about him. So um, I think that will eventually be rectified. To the not the right word because I don't think like he had. He's a complete snub if he doesn't make it. There's a lot of good defense players in the NBA, but I. But I think he is going to get more recognition starting next season when I expect the Thunder to be on national TV more. Everyone wants to see what Chet does and what Shea does and everything like that. Um, and I think Dort will naturally benefit from that.
0: Yeah, he'll get there. And guys like Luca and Dame, they don't just hand out those compliments for free or anything like that. Those are prideful guys who definitely don't want to say if a defender is giving them problems. So all the praise to Lou there. But let's get into the All-NBA. That's the last thing we're going to discuss today asked you about this with Mark, but at what point in the season did it become real in your mind that Shea could be first team All-NBA?
1: Again, it was it it is very similar to the Dagnalt Coach of the Year conversation. I think he gets off to such a good start and I'm saying things like, well, if he keeps this up, maybe he could be All-NBA. And I say that probably thinking third team you know a top 15 player then he gets the all-star break he's an all-star man he might be a second team all-nba guy and then he keeps doing it he doesn't fall off and he leads the thunder to the play-in and and i think by the end of that you look up and say this guy he this hot start he got off to he just continued this and and you know got even better or or didn't slip for the entirety of the season um so it wasn't like a, a moment, although he did have those moments, the game-winner at home against the Blazers, um, the game-winner on the road at the Wizards. Um, but but it was like what he did on both ends of the floor. and um, Also, this is not to take anything away from Shea, but it's also like Luka, if he had the same stat line and the Mavs were a four-seed, he probably gets in over Shea. Um, Steph Curry, if he plays... 75 games he probably gets in or if the Warriors are are even better um but that's saying something to to Shea's availability plays 68 games um and and puts up huge numbers and um Lillard is another one of those guys I had Lillard um second team but the Blazers kind of fall off at the end of the year and uh, have to sit them and end up tanking so there were some things that broke right for Shea um But more than anything, like his his numbers and his play and um, what he led the Thunder team to do um, is deserving.
0: Availability is the best ability you can have. Um, We mentioned this earlier that some voters had split stuff. I know that somebody did last year. I can't remember who it was, but they had a, a pretty big voice about, you know, I voted Jokic MVP, but I voted Embiid first team. Was there any thought to do anything like that, kind of splitting things to reward both guys, or did you... Stay constant. Just put Embiid first after having MVP.
1: Um, I put Embiid first team. He was my first team center. I'm pulling up my my ballot now. Um, yeah, I think that's a little silly if you go the other way, just to like kind of reward both guys. It's like if this guy is if Embiid is your MVP, he has to be your first team center. So that's how I went about it. So my my first team. Shay, Donovan Mitchell, Giannis, Tatum, Embiid, and, Bede. and um, you put this question on the rundown, and I think it's a good one. Like, if we so right now, there's two guards, two forwards, one center. If we remove those positional restrictions, who would I vote first team All NBA? Well, Jokic would for sure be on there because I voted him second on MVP, and I think my answer to this question is I would just vote the five guys I voted top five in my MVP race. So. It would just be taking Donovan Mitchell out and sliding Jokic in. So I would have had SGA, Jokic, Giannis, Tatum, and Bede. Um, so, so
2: I mean, if if we take away positional restrictions for all NBA, I don't see, I think it's, I don't want to say always, but your top five for MVP are
1: probably going to be your top five all nba players more time than not
0: yeah i'd have a uh, i'd have a hard time disagreeing with that i was going to ask you about that i wonder if that's the future of this is just like everybody's top five mvps is the same and then or not the same for but it's the same as their first team and then you get to the bottom 10 and it's like oh well that's second team or anything like that i think that it takes yeah it's nice to have positionless, but it does take some of the nuance and just kind of the decision making and hard choices you have to make with all nba kind of out of the equation
2: yeah, I've sort of flip-flopped on this. I mean, I'm I still think I'm I'm glad that they're taking away positions
1: because no one knows what position anyone plays these days and I, if everyone's talking about positionless basketball, why are we sticking with these antiquated positional restrictions for all NBA voting? But it it does take some of the nuance out of it. Like It's really hard to put Jokic second team All-NBA when he's second on your MVP ballot. But because he's a center and because the guy you picked first for MVP is a center, he's got to be second team. So um, that's the way I went with it. I also, I know some people had Doncic as a first team forward because he is listed at forward and guard. I understand that. You know, maybe he's a guard offensively and a forward defensively. I just think of him as a guard. So I didn't even consider doing that, but maybe I should have. I, I don't know. Where do you fall on? What position is Doncic?
0: I mean, yeah. What position is LeBron? What position is Jokic? What position yeah. is Shea? They're just like all these. What position is Josh Giddy? It's just who knows? Yeah.
1: I mean, Giddy is a guard offensively and more often than not guards a forward defensively.
0: Yeah, it's just weird stuff. Um, But there have been four different times, Joe, that an MVP was not first team All-NBA. Dave Cowens in 72-73. Bill Russell three different times was MVP and not first team All-NBA in 57-58. And even when he went back to back in 61-62. This doesn't make sense to me. Do we know why? We do not, other than just things split up. And at that time, they didn't even have three All-NBA teams. It was just first and second team.
2: Maybe you know, everyone's definition of valuable is is different. Um so maybe you could argue that that Bill Russell was more valuable to the Celtics,
0: but wasn't actually the best center i don't i don't know but that's that's pretty squishy some of the we'll have to get barry on with this but some of the mvp stuff the olden days is weird because it was like bill russell would win averaging 18 and 12 and then you look down it's like oh we'll average 50 and 20 it's like well how <laughs> how did this happen but yeah. that stuff's just crazy. Bring, bring
1: barry on for like a uh, instead of doing a redraft do like a re all nba vote for, re-awarding uh, yeah yeah for like The 60s, 70s, 80s, you can go decade by decade.
0: And a couple more things I wanted to ask you. Is there anybody who you bounce your all NBA or voting ideas off of anybody you talk to? Because I would imagine you probably want to get some feedback from someone whenever you're discussing these things. Yeah, I did a
1: little
2: bit just kind of like talking in the office with with some folks. And. um, I, I don't.
1: I don't base my votes off anyone else's votes, but I do like reading and listening to other people who, you know, know the game better than I do. Um, have you know uh, aren't necessarily beat writers, but kind of have a finger on what's going on across the NBA, and just making sure I'm not missing anything. Like I want to hear. It's more so. You, you mentioned like comparing it to a debate. It's more so I want to hear every argument. And other people, some people have favorites and different biases, and I want to hear all of those, and then I can basically use those along with my own research and eyes and put together my team. So um, that's that's really what I do. I I want to listen um, to whoever, not e- not even people who have a vote. There, I mean, there's a lot of people who don't have a vote that put out, hey, here's who I think is all NBA and MVP and um, I'll definitely listen to those things and, and take into the take that into account, because if I'm making my list and, you know, I look at someone else's and like, man, maybe I do need to give him a, another look. Then then I definitely will.
0: It's always nice to have different perspective. Uh, luckily, you're not looking in different Facebook groups or anything like that for MVP discourse.
1: I, I'm not. I'm not on the uh, Thunder Reddit looking for MVP advice or or anything like not that. Not from
0: Thunderfan69 who says that <laughs> Shay should be the MVP and anyone who says otherwise is an idiot. But um, yeah. other thing, last couple of questions. How do you avoid groupthink? Because it is important to get other people's perspective, but there's almost feels like there's some voters who just see what Zach Lowe puts and it's like copy paste, which I know that's not what you do, but it's probably difficult to not hear the conversation over and over and over of really big media people talking heads who say it's like well this guy's first team first team and it's just kind of like ingrained in your mind
1: yeah it it is difficult to be honest with you because i'm still relatively new at doing this i don't have like this this deep well of historical knowledge so when i hear someone like who who i really really respect and and i think that his pulse on the NBA is, is as good as anyone's. It's like hard to disagree with that. But if you look at my ballot and you look at Zach Lowe's ballot, you're going to see, um, you're going to see a lot of similarities, but you're going to see quite a few differences as well. And so, so I think that, again, it goes back to, you know, make sure you're hearing all arguments, but at the end of the day, like you are given a ballot. You've you've got to decide what what you think is best. But I definitely think there is some groupthink, especially with not throwing anyone under the bus. But someone that doesn't really want to put in the time and effort to do their ballot, I think they are easily influenced by. Okay, everyone's saying this guy deserves it. I'm gonna I'm just gonna put his name in, and that's where we do um, get a lot of groupthink.
0: Absolutely. Two years voting. Is there anybody who you like instantly had a? thought of like man i wish i could kind of take that back or i wish that i would have given this other guys uh some more notoriety i'm already having one i'm
1: having one from this ballot um i don't want to go too deep into the process of uh all nba third team voting but i the the vote i struggled with the most is who is going to be my last all nba forward so um I'll read you my uh, all NBA four. It's first team, Giannis and Tatum. That's easy. Yeah. Let's let's move on. Second team, Jimmy Butler, who I thought was easy. I had Laurie Markkinen, and looking at other ballots, there. I've seen Markkinen maybe second team like three or four times, but not many. So I'm kind of an outlier there, and maybe I should have uh, given that more look. But who knows? Maybe maybe not. Maybe maybe I want to stand on uh, Laurie Markkinen Island. It's a um, very very cold place in Finland. Um, all NBA third team.
2: I Jalen Brown, who uh, who I I wanted to put in there. Um, and then for the last forward spot, I had Julius Randall. And Julius, I think he
1: was deserving. I think he has the case, the numbers. Um, he plays for Tom Thibodeau, which means he played like eight thousand more minutes than anyone else um in contention, which really did swing this um in his favor, I thought. He played like a thousand more minutes than other guys I considered. And that that certainly means something. And I think that has to be um awarded. Not has to be awarded. I think it needs to be uh rewarded. But here's the other names I considered for that last
2: forward spot. LeBron James, mm-hmm. Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard. It's like, man, I'm do I really want to
1: be the guy that votes Julius Randall over those guys? And I, I suppose my answer at the time was yes, because I did, but those guys all played, you know, far fewer minutes, but you know, um, Zach Glow's one guy who talks about this, like some, some people lean toward a lifetime achievement award. Like, Hey, I really don't want to leave LeBron off. I don't care how many games he played. I don't care if his number slipped a little bit. like, can't put together an all-NBA team and, and leave LeBron off or leave Steph off. Um, and uh, I did leave LeBron off. Would I rather watch LeBron James play basketball and Kevin Durant than Julius Randall? Yes, yes, yes. But the, the numbers, the availability mattered to me. Randall was second or third team all-NBA two years ago. His numbers were um, as good or even better this year. Um, has not been great in the playoffs. So it's like the recency
0: bias is already creeping in. Um, but I had Randall third team. Joe Masato, the guy who tarnished LeBron's legacy. That's that's <laughs> it. He's you're not he's not gonna get in the hall of fame. He's the, out of the, the GOAT discussions.
1: Gonna, the thing that's gonna keep him second in the GOAT debate behind Jordan is he doesn't have the extra third team all NBA appearance.
0: Yeah, they're going to go, this guy actually put Laurie in second team over him. That's how bad he was that season. But the last question I have for you is, um, what else do you have going on? I know that we both are going to be very busy during this offseason. We've got a lot of stuff upcoming, but what are you working on?
2: Yeah, so um,
1: the lottery is going to get here before we know it. May 17th, I think. Um, the Combine's right around then as well. So we're going to be transitioning into into draft season. Right now, what I have going on is watching a lot of playoff games. But work-wise, I'm not getting paid for that, unfortunately. Work-wise, um, we 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 talked to Sam for, what, two and a half hours, pretty much. So there's still plenty more to come out of that. There's still plenty more to come out of exit interviews. Um, I mentioned that Lou Dort story I wanted to write. Didn't get to that last week. I'm going to get to it this week. Um We'll have you know award stories on where these guys finish and everything like that but but mostly it's exit interviews are about compiling and kind of um giving us stuff to talk about and write about and whatever um during the during the lulls in the schedule and this is not a lull in the n b a schedule, but it is in the funder schedule, so um we'll just be rolling things out from that, uh, barring any um huge Breaking news that I don't expect to come, but that will probably come at 3 a.m. and wake me up and
0: make me have nightmares. Season comes at you fast. I mean, we're going to get into the lottery soon and the draft and Summer League will be here. And by that time, preseason and the cycle continues.
1: Ugh. Don't say that. You know, I, I, I love talking to you, Michael, about the Thunder and the NBA, but we just got through one season. I'm not ready. I'm not ready for you to tell me how quick the next one is
0: about to come around. It's it's going to be forever then. It's not very soon. We have a lifetime. Just I have all the time. I can sit back and relax. I can yeah. procrastinate. Yeah, don't even Everything. worry. I mean, they might even not play, play next season. Might not even happen. <laughs> Who knows? But Joe, thank you so much for coming on with me. We'll definitely have some more uh, like player grades and other things. Draft coverage coming up soon. Thank you all for listening to the Thunder Buddies podcast. Make sure to like, subscribe, comment. Rate us five stars on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us at ThunderBudPod on Twitter. And we'll be back again for more Thunder Basketball discussion and NBA stuff on Friday.